But I'm finding that by supporting their base nutrients, things start to get a lot clearer as to what the root causes it are and where we just need a little bump. So maybe parasite work isn't as epic because you have the right cofactors for liver detoxification and those liver flukes aren't as prevalent. Hey, my name is Leanne Vogel. I'm fascinated with helping women navigate how to eat, move, and care for their bodies using a low-carb diet. I'm a small-town holistic nutritionist turned three-time international best-selling author turned functional medicine practitioner, offering telemedicine services around the globe to women looking to better their health and stop second-guessing themselves. I'm here to teach you how to wade through the wellness noise to get to the good stuff that'll help you achieve your goals. We're supporting your low-carb life beyond the if-it-fits-your-macros conversation. Hormones, emotions, relationship to your body, workouts, letdowns, motivation, blood work, detoxing, metabolism. I'm providing the tools to put your motivation into action. Think of it like quality time with your bestie mixed with a little med school so you're empowered at your next doctor visit. Get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn about your body and how to care for it better. This is the Keto Diet Podcast. Hello, I'm so glad to have you here. Today is an Ask Me Anything. We're covering a bunch of info around functional testing, electrolytes, parasites, liver support, and more. It's kind of a mishmash of a bunch of different things. Y'all had questions. I got some answers and we will go through everything starting right now. So our first question is, what health issues have you seen when people undereat? Oh man, I feel like I could answer this question very personally because I underate for such a long time, like such a long time. I think the biggest thing that I experienced was my hair was really matted and like wasn't super great. And my face looked really old. I find as I've been eating more, I actually look better. (laughs) So that's one thing. I think a big piece too is like cycle issues, including hormone issues. And just really simple things like not having enough brain power to complete simple tasks, having poor sleep. We also have to start thinking if if we're not eating enough, the mitochondria are going to be sideways and we're going to deal with things like dizziness upon standing and difficulty focusing, like I mentioned, headaches in the afternoon, migraines, lowered body temperature as the thyroid goes a little bit wonky. Immune system dysregulation, I see this a lot in blood work of people that are either working out too much, not eating enough, or both, which is quite common, where our white blood cells are sitting around like three. That's way too low. It should be like 5.5 to 7. So if they're super low, that's generally a sign that we're not getting enough nutrients and therefore our immune system gets super suppressed and we're getting sick all the time. A lot of viral issues show up. I have many clients in the past and currently where when they're not eating enough, they're working out too much, they get a lot of viral situations and a lot of situations that involve the skin. So there's that. It it really affects our sleep. So we're not falling asleep or we don't stay asleep. Another big one that I noticed when I started eating more is all of a sudden I was not constipated anymore. (laughs) Like I was just going to the bathroom after meals and they were like great consistency. So I think a lot of constipation issues have to do with the fact that we're not eating enough. 
and libido issues. I think libido plays a huge role in all of this. When we don't have adequate libido, it can be that our hormones are changing and that can be due to not eating or not eating enough. You'd actually be surprised at how much food you actually need. Most women that I work with that start working with me sit around 1,100 to 1,200 calories consistently. I mean, I've had clients consistently eat around 800 calories a day. That is just not enough. That is not enough for basic function. And if you're gaining weight increasing, then we need to regulate your metabolism. And that's a whole other piece. That's a whole other thing that's happening. But I am actually starting to provide weekly macro check-ins. So if you're interested in something like that, I just thought of this as I was answering this question, it might be a good place to place it. If you're just looking for macro support and you're willing to track your foods on a daily basis and really understand how to regulate your metabolism and hit your goals with your diet, as well as movement, my weekly tracking one-on-one sessions might be good for you. They're just really quick check-ins over email where we adjust your macros and set you off into the world for another week. So if you're interested in something like that, just send me a message on Instagram at Leanne Vogel and we can chat about what that looks like. Okay. Next question. Is it bad to do keto, the keto diet randomly in an effort to lose some weight? I don't think like I want to define randomly before I answer this question, because if you're just going like, if you're thinking I'm going to eat keto for 20 days and then all my problems are going to be better, that's not going to work. I'm telling you right now, it's probably a bad idea. (laughs) So I'll kind of talk to you about like, what I've noticed is the most effective way to use keto effectively to lose weight and feel your best. So if you have some sort of metabolic dysfunction and you just cannot burn carbohydrates, you're you're gaining weight left, right, and center. When you look at a cupcake, you gain weight. It could be that you're not eating enough. And we talked about that previously, what that looks like and how and all the things. I think the ketogenic diet can be used in an effort to lose weight in conjunction with a movement program for sure. I think keto can also be used once you get that metabolic flexibility. I have many clients and friends even who are able to shift in between keto and like a carb burning state day to day, like day to day in conjunction with a movement program. And I did that for a little while with my own movement program this last year. I've done it in the past a whole bunch where I go into keto for a time and then I go back into carb burning and then I go into keto for a time and I go back into carb burning. It really just depends on the person. I think, I don't necessarily think it's bad if you're using it responsibly, but if you're just kind of like willy nilly, like today I'm going to do keto, tomorrow I'm going to eat all the cake. That's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being super strategic with when you're using the ketogenic diet and how you're using the ketogenic diet. And it might not be a strict ketogenic diet because To maintain a ketogenic state, you usually like once you're fat adapted, you should be able to slide back into keto in one or two days, depending on how long you've been eating the carbohydrates. Okay. So I find it super helpful to follow more of a ketogenic process day to day when you combine that with training. If you're not really combining that with training, I don't think you really need to do the ketogenic diet randomly in an effort to lose weight here and there. What I'm hearing kind of in your question is like, I have an event coming up in four weeks and I want to lose 10 pounds. Can I just use keto to lose that weight and then go back to the way I'm eating? I think that's a really bad idea. 
I think really grasping the concepts of keto and eating a ketogenic diet at minimum is going to take about 30 days to really get a handle on things and longer to really heal your metabolism. So some people are able to heal their metabolism quite quickly, like in a couple of months, and then they're able to dabble in eating carbs, eating keto, and kind of dabbling in both in conjunction with a movement plan. So what a lot of people will do, and I, I sometimes coach on depending on the person, this can get really complicated and isn't really necessary often, but I'll share it anyway, is that when they're doing activities such as lifting, they'll have a higher carbohydrate day. Whereas when they're doing activities like running, they'll have a keto day. Okay, so that's, that's a common thing that people can do and have done and have been really successful with that where the carbs are used for the lift or in the recovery of the lift. And then the running, we can run better generally on ketones. Now, that's usually for somebody who's very, very, very fat adapted. Okay, so if you are brand new to the ketogenic diet and you expect to lose a ton of weight and then just eat carbs and then go back on the ketogenic diet and lose weight and then eat carbs, usually what ends up happening, and I see this time and time and time and time and time again, it's worth mentioning, people will go on the ketogenic diet first, lose a bunch of weight, then get off of the ketogenic diet and then try to use a ketogenic diet again and it doesn't work. I don't entirely know why this happens. Oftentimes, what I've noticed in these people is that they try to fit back to the thing that worked previously and it just doesn't and they just try harder and it's just not working. So my whole thing is if you're trying it and it's not working, then the thing you're trying needs to change. Like you don't need to change because you can't change, right? Like you just need to do something different. So I hope that answers your question. Okay, we're going to do a little crash course on determining whether or not you need vitamin C using your standard blood work. So if you have a blood work panel sitting around, maybe it's a couple months old, maybe a year old, and you wanna follow along, I'm gonna show you how to determine whether or not you need vitamin C. I want you to look at your RBC. We want that level to be around four to 4.5. If it is above this, chances are you might need vitamin C. Another really good marker for vitamin C need is albumin. If it's looking a little bit low, let's say it's like 4.2 or 4.1, in addition to that RBC being elevated, it might be a good sign that you need vitamin C. Another really good marker to use for vitamin C need is your alkaline phosphatase. Is that If this is elevated beyond 100, chances are, in addition to the other markers, you might need vitamin C. Now, these are just a couple of handful of markers that I see elevated and kind of wonky in a couple of my clients that requires them to take vitamin C. Now, there are a whole bunch of different ways that you can take vitamin C, but the most effective way to actually balance things out is a whole food-based vitamin C. And that's why I love Paleo Valley Essential C. It's been third-party lab tested as the most powerful 100% natural vitamin C product on the market today. It contains not one, but three of the most concentrated natural sources of vitamin C, amla berry, camu camu berry, and unripe aceola cherry. 
the most potent source of natural vitamin C on earth, which is 120 times higher than found in an orange. Each nutrient-packed serving delivers 750% your RDI of vitamin C, an amount meant to help you thrive, not just survive. Most other vitamin C supplements are derived from GMO corn and only contain one fraction of the vitamin, ascorbic acid. Paleo Valley Essential C Complex contains the entire spectrum with absolutely no synthetic vitamin C, just organic superfoods. Head on over to paleovalley.com and load up on a couple of bottles of their vitamin C complex. Whatever else you find that catches your eye, if I had to tell you like a recommendation, I really, 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 really love their meat sticks. They're fermented. They're fantastic. And when you enter the code KETO at checkout, you'll receive 15% off your first order. Again, that's paleovalley.com and use the code KETO for 15% off your first order. Next question is, is hair analysis worth it? Okay. So I, th- I feel like there's a little bit of a backstory I need to share here because a year ago, I would have said, no way hair analysis is hot garbage. There is no validity to it and it's not going to work. I've changed. And if you follow me for any length of time, you know that Leanne Vogel changes. (laughs) I am not afraid to say when I was wrong and I was definitely wrong about hair analysis. It really took a personal experience with hair analysis to realize that there was some meat behind all the things. So I had been working with a coach for a little while. I don't even remember why. And it doesn't matter. She recommended that I do a hair tissue mineral analysis. And I was like, really? Is that just like a total waste of my time, energy, and money? And she's like, no, no, no. It's like so helpful. You should try it. It's a cheap test. Just do it. So I did it. And then I got the results back and she helped me understand it because hair analysis tests are really hard to understand. I had to do a full epic, epic course on it to try to understand this thing. And so I learned, she taught me, and I did the things for three months. And hey, I actually felt a lot better. I've actually used a hair tissue mineral analysis over the last 10 months to massively change my thyroid function. I'm still in the process of this, but currently I have been able to get my TSH completely normal. Previously, I was on Armour Thyroid and still am at 90 milligrams, which is a good amount. That's a good amount. And my TSH has been really low on that medication, which is usually a sign that you're medicating and you don't need it or there's like something going on with the connection between the thyroid's sensitivity to the hormones and its conversation with the pituitary. And so I started acting on the hair tissue mineral analysis and within about four months, my TSH went great. Now I'm working on adjusting my hormones to the point where I don't need to be on the armor thyroid anymore. So I'm currently working on that. I'm having a lot of hyper thyroid days. So just trying to like figure out how to do this correctly. But when it comes to hair analysis for myself, I found that it was quite helpful to the point where I ended up purchasing a course, going through that whole course, chatting with a couple of my mentors about it, learning what they had to say about it. And now it's a big part of my practice. Like I would say hair tissue mineral analysis, GI maps and blood work are the three tests that I go to over and 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 over. And sometimes even a hair tissue mineral analysis more than blood work. Who am I? That's crazy. So I learned in school that the hair tissue mineral analysis wasn't the best way of testing things because the reports were super inaccurate. 
And I agree. There are some companies that will wash the hair when they receive it or treat the hair and it completely negates the results. But I've found that the Trace Elements lab has been really, really great with the results. And I've been just blown away with the types of progress I've seen in clients. And so I'm really starting to see functional coaching and functional wellness differently with the hair tissue mineral analysis than I did when I just had the blood work and the Dutch and the GI map and the oat test and the mycotoxin test previously. And you guys have heard me talk about this is like, if you have parasites, kill the parasites. If you have mold, detox the mold. If you have metals, get those out of the body, right? And it's so important to do drainage and all those things to make sure that the body can release those things. And yes, that is important. But part of what the hair tissue mineral analysis and a little bit of blood work has helped me to see is the body has a certain vitality. And if your vitality is totally tanked, it's not only going to be harder to detox and remove these things from the body, just because you're not able to, because you don't have the right cofactors to do so, and or you're just not strong enough. (laughs) Okay, so there's a pattern called four lows which basically means that your core four minerals, your calcium, your magnesium, your sodium, and your potassium are low. Those people cannot, not, not, not do detox. Like it's just not possible. You really, really need to focus on those minerals first. When somebody has an iodine deficiency or a potassium deficiency, or they're low in magnesium, or they're not holding magnesium because they're low in B6 and boron and molybdenum even, By giving the body the minerals in the right balance, it actually coaches up the vitality to the point where a lot of these root cause issues resolve themselves. Now, not all of them, but I'm finding that many of my clients, not all of them, like it's really, it's like probably a 50-50 thing at this point. If I had to pick, maybe the math is a little bit off because this is just off the top of my head, but I'm finding that by supporting their base nutrients, things start to get a lot clearer as to what the root causes it are and where we just need a little bump. So maybe parasite work isn't as epic because you have the right cofactors for liver detoxification and those liver flukes aren't as prevalent. In the case of mycotoxins, especially with mycotoxins, the key is a moving liver. So if you are low in vitamin B12 or B6, your liver is just not going to work as well. If we can coach up your body's vitality, specifically focusing on the liver, mycotoxins aren't as big of an issue. Do they still need to be detoxed? Probably, but we're just making your body stronger. So I think for sure that there is validity to a hair tissue mineral analysis, but it really depends on A, who's doing the test, like where you're getting the test from, and B, who is interpreting the test because those things are not easy to read. I cannot even tell you how many times I've had to contact my mentor and be like, I don't even understand this. Please tell me what this means because it is very confusing. So it takes time to learn how to read. Okay, next question. How do you drain your lymph nodes when they don't seem to drain and why are they not draining? Okay, so I am assuming that what's happening here is you have lymph nodes that are puffy and terrible and they don't feel good. I'm guessing. And this is a very common issue. I've actually had this. So there are a couple of things. You have to get your drainage moving. So before anything else, you should be doing things like dry brushing, gua sha, 
rebounding. Lymph massage, if you can afford it. You'll want to go to like an actually trained lymph massage practitioner, not just somebody who says, yeah, yeah, I can totally do lymph massage. It'll be great. No, that's not a thing. Infrared sauna will help to move lymph. If you guys have heard of the My High Sauna Blanket, love that product so much. I still use it. In fact, I'm totally going to use it tonight when I'm done recording this episode because it is a sauna night for sure. I think the code is still Leanne at checkout for like 50 or $75 off. So check that out. And then Epsom salt baths help to get things moving. Compression systems help to get things moving as does breath work. Now, breath work is really interesting. My lymph practitioner, she has been incredible. I love this woman. Her name's Rachel. She's fantastic. I've been seeing her for a couple of years for massage. And then she did a course on lymph and she's like, can I practice on your body? And I was like, yes, that is the best. Yes, please. She focuses a lot on the diaphragm and just like getting my diaphragm like super moving and really working through that. So breath work is so important. The lymph does not have a pump. Like the cardiac system, which has the heart, lymph has none of that. So lymph moves by process of movement. So if you are a couch potato and you do not get up, you're going to have an issue with lymph. So the first thing is getting it moving. And then the second thing is addressing the infections that are in the lymph. And that is ginormously a big project. So reach out to me. No, I'm just kidding. I find that topical solutions are best, at least until you figure out like what's going on, what infections are there, blah, blah, blah. So I really like ozone for this. And I really like silicone cups for this and just moving it up and down. You can also create a binder poultice, basically where you mix a binder in with some water and then put it on the lymph node. So there's, there's some lymph work for you. Okay, next question. Low carb versus keto. Will my body benefit from going on a run? I like the keto for the anti-inflammatory benefits, but running is super hard on keto. Can I do low carb? Okay, so this goes into the last question we were kind of talking about, about how to balance between higher carb, keto, training, etc. Everyone's a little bit different. Okay, so if in a couple of years I hit my head and decide to become a runner again, because I've literally had the worst concussion. And I think it's a great idea. I mean, maybe I would, I highly doubt it. But I've always I've also said I highly doubted to a lot of things and I end up doing the thing. So who knows? So let's just say I personally was like, I want to start running. What I would probably do if I want to do it keto is understand it's going to suck for a really long time. And then it's not going to suck anymore. And I'd probably start really slow with my running, like half a mile on keto and then a mile and then a mile and a half, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think you can go into running with keto at the level that you may be at before keto and think like it's just going to be this magical shift and even better. So I think patience is really important with this. And like if after months of doing this, it's just not working, then have the carbs. It's not the end of the world. You can also do like carbs the night before and see if that helps with your energy. You can do carbs after to see if it helps with recovery. I find for most people, the carbohydrates after recovery are really awesome for lifting and the carbohydrates before activity are really awesome for running if you just can't make a ketogenic diet work for running.
my friend, for a very limited time only, our friends over at House of Macadamia Nuts are giving you Nambian sea salted macadamia nuts in your first purchase plus 20% off. So you get like a free product plus 20% off when you go to houseofmacadamias.com slash TKP. And you're going to use the code TKP20 to get your 20% off plus your free macadamias. Okay. Next question is, I'm curious about bile salts or Tudka. Oh my gosh. I am in love with Tudka. I've been using this product for a couple of years and it is absolutely fantastic. I, it, yeah, I just love it. So Tudka's purpose is to thin the bile that's stored so that it's more free flowing. It helps to ensure that the bile doesn't get sludgy. And this will oftentimes happen with people that have a history of gallstones or a concern around gallstone formation. It can be taken if you don't have a gallbladder. When the lymph is stuck, okay, to go back to our conversation about lymph, when the lymph is stuck, the liver is stuck and will usually benefit from Tudka. And how to know that your lymph is stuck is cellulite. Like that, when, when somebody says, you know, I've made videos like this in the past, like I'm so proud of my cellulite, blah, blah, cellulite. That's a good sign that your lymph is stuck. Now, I'm sure that there are other components that factor into lymph, sorry, to cellulite issues. I got to say, every single client of mine that has cellulite issues either has mold illness or Lyme, which is affecting their lymph, like without a doubt. When I was dealing with my Lyme stuff and specifically Bartonella, I was dealing with a lot of cellulite and now... I get compliments on my legs all the time. I can't even believe it. I have random people come up to me and say, what do you do for your legs? They're so great. I'm like, well, it's complicated. I go for lymph massages and blah, 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 blah. So you don't want to use Tudka if you have gallstones because the stones will hit the sphincter and cause pain and we don't want that. If you have estrogen dominance or hormone imbalance, you want to start slow with Tudka. Again, if you have gallstones or history of gallstones, please do not use Tudka. Like it's not, it's not good. If you have a reaction to Tudka, it's best to, to take a break, even go down to like a quarter of the cap. Always take it with food, take it super slow. This stuff is super potent. Tudka can also cause some insomnia or cause sleepiness. If you do end up deciding to take it super slow and you open up the capsule, I will warn you right now. It is not a pleasant taste. It is absolutely terrible. Even the capsule itself tastes terrible. You can taste it out of the out of the capsule. It's horrible. Tudka is probably my number one liver support when there's no history of gallstones. So super love that stuff. I use this stuff from Cellcore because it's by far the strongest and the most bestest product there is when it comes to Tudka. How you get access to Cellcore is know a practitioner that has access to Cellcore. I offer Cellcore in my root cause group. So if you go to healthfulpursuit.com and at the top it has shop. And if you click that shop, then you go to the coaching page. And on that coaching page, there's the root cause group. And I go through all root causes from parasites to metals to mold to Lyme and co-infections, viruses, how to maintain all the things you've detoxed and all the things. And we talk about Tudka and I offer you access to the Cellcore suite of products. So that's available to you if you wish. 
outside of Cellcore, I really like the Body Bio brand. They're like second best in my mind. Okay, next question. Colonics, good idea, bad idea. I love enemas, but I feel like a colonic would clear things out better. Yeah, both of them are super great. I find colonics to be really aggressive and only for a certain type of individual. Always make sure when you're looking for a colonics practitioner that you find one that uses filtered water. I've actually met a lot of colonics practitioners that just use tap water and that's a big no-no. I really like the idea of, of enemas only because I can control the water intake and I just find it to be a lot less aggressive than colonics and I can use distilled water as opposed to like filtered water or tap water or like, yeah, just not good quality water. Also with enemas, you can add things like probiotics and coffee and all the things, whereas colonics, you can't really. So yeah, I mean, I've done my fair share of colonics. I just think like they're so incredibly aggressive. And if you have a really sensitive constitution, it's probably not going to be the best option. But if you don't react to things and you're pretty strong, then you should be able to handle it. No problem. Okay. Next question. Pardon the ignorance, but how big of a deal is mold and or parasites if you don't have them? If you do not have symptoms of mycotoxin illness or parasite issues, that's fantastic. Like, congratulations. Your vitality is probably really strong and you're just able to fight off those things. You're living in a world where mycotoxins and parasites are everywhere. And if you have a strong body, it shouldn't really affect you. Unless you're like, exposed to a significant amount of stachyboitrous or something where it's like heavy in your face and it just that sort of thing happens or I don't know you yeah if you have a strong enough constitution you shouldn't have these issues it's when we are our weakest like for example when I am stressed out for example I I traveled recently it was three weeks I knew that I was going to lack sleep and I knew that the EMF in the plane was going to start getting to me at some point, and it totally did. And the day I got home, I went on a parasite protocol. I brought in some mycotoxin support because that's when I'm weakest. So when you're at your weakest, if maybe you're grieving the loss of a loved one, that's when we need to dial things in because that's when our body is weak and it allows things in. But I mean, if you don't have any of the symptoms and you listen to things and you're like, man, that sucks for people. I'm so glad I don't have that. Congratulations. That's awesome. Keep your vitality strong. Keep eating well. Keep moving well. That's amazing. Yeah, fantastic news. Next question. Lifestyle or life lifestyle of a parasite. Well, the lifestyle of a parasite is that it literally eats everything. Uh, no, the question is, what is the life cycle of a parasite and how many cleanses to do? Or I swear I can feel them in my intestines and feet. Okay, so really important to not get distracted by parasites. <laughs> now, parasites can be the root cause of some issues, but oftentimes parasites are allowed to be in the body because of other deeper issues like mycotoxins, metals. And we talked about this in a previous episode with Elizabeth Harris about cellular infections and biofilms. That's ultimately going to be kind of the precipice of everything. And so if you've been addressing parasites for six months or longer, it's time to move on. Unless you're working with a practitioner and they give like a really, 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 really 
really good reason why you're still addressing parasites only, I would say that it's probably time to move on to another order of operation. Like move on, keep going. Our body is smart. Our body is going to want the parasite to stick around if the parasite is helping. And parasites can help by eating up metals, toxins, including chemicals, infections, viruses. So if those things are in the body, the parasites will stay and the body will keep them there. So the life cycle of some parasites ranges between one to four months. They have various life cycles depending on the type. I do care about this, but what I found to be the most effective process is to address parasites for like four-ish months and continue to address them in a micro level as you continue to work on other things like metals, mold. A lot of the antimicrobials you would use on a mold protocol are going to be working to address parasites still. So instead of just like hyper-focusing on parasites for six months, nine months, one year before you move on, you're just spinning your wheels and you're changing, changing the diversity of your gut being on antimicrobials that long. So max six months. Now, using my own personal experience, oh boy, oh man, it was so rough. I had Entamoeba histolytica and it just wouldn't die and it took me forever to re re remove it. And then I got H. pylori. I found that the key for me was really focusing on chemicals for me. Once I really focused on the chemicals, all the other stuff kind of just like went away. And so everyone kind of has that. There's like that, that thing that's keeping the parasites there and it's different for everybody. Okay, next question. Element is pricey. Ideas on making your own electrolytes. Is putting salt in water a terrible idea? No, my friend, that is the best idea. Now, I love Element. I cannot imagine my life without Element. It would be really challenging. There have been times, very few times, where I've forgotten my Element packet and it has not been a good situation. I take three elements a day. That is my recipe. I need at least three packets a day in order to feel okay. And one of those packets, I'm going to mix with five grams of creatine. I usually have it first thing in the morning. And then I have my breakfast and then I go for my workout. So I love Element. I also, <laughs> I also add gray sea salt to my water. So on average, a person needs to have about 5,000 milligrams of sodium on a daily basis. Usually we're getting around 500, maybe 1,000 on a whole foods diet. So it's just not enough at all. So yeah, man or lady, add add salt to your water. I really, really like the gray sea salt, uh, Celtic sea salt, because it has a really good balance of minerals in there. But you're going to be missing some of the magnesium and potassium. Potassium is by far the most common mineral I see on a hair tissue mineral analysis as being low. Potassium issues are vast. So what you could do instead is make yourself some potassium broth. I cannot think of the name of it right now. I'm going to look it up because we're friends and I want to help you out. There's a type of seaweed. Kombu seaweed is super high in potassium. And so what I'll often do is make like a potassium like liquid with organic parsley and kombu. And I'll kind of like blend. No, I'll boil it. 
and then strain it and then add it into my electrolyte drink. A lot of people super love coconut water. I think that stuff is disgusting and should be illegal across the entire world. It is so gross. It, oh, I hate it so much. But coconut water is really high in potassium. So you could use that also in your homemade electrolyte mixture. I was traveling for the day and I had packed myself a lunch. It had all these tasty things in it. I was so excited to chow down, but I had to go to a meeting and I forgot my lunch kit with my husband. Now I'm sitting at that meeting. It's going to be like a four to five hour meeting. I'm pretty hungry. I have my big ginormous 50 ounce water bottle beside me. I don't even have electrolytes. I'm digging through my purse thinking maybe, maybe I left a snack in my bag And to my surprise, there was a little packet of sea salt macadamia nuts, and I must have squealed because people looked over, and I was so excited, and man, did it pack a punch. I was so thankful to have those little fat bombs in my purse. Now, macadamia nuts are one of my favorite nuts. They are high in fat, low in carbohydrates, so incredibly satiating. Now, A lot of us keep fat bombs. You know, we went through that whole phase where we had all these fat bombs sitting around. I know I did. Maybe you're still in that phase of your ketogenic diet where you're spending all this time, energy, and money making different types of fat bombs. I encourage you instead to check out House of Macadamias. They make the most delicious macadamia nuts. Each little packet is loaded with flavor. They have onion, sea salt, zesty salsa, chocolate, white chocolate, and white chocolate raspberry dipped, dairy-free flavors of macadamia nuts. And there's no funky ingredients. It's like a great replacement to chips. If you like chips or little snacky things, Oh, these packets are incredible. When you go to houseofmacadamias.com slash KDP and check out their selection of fat-fueled snacks, their bars are really good too. And if you like what you see, you can use the coupon code KDP20 for 20% off your first purchase. That's houseofmacadamias.com slash KDP and use the code KDP20 for 20% off. Okay, next question. Is there ever a need for prescriptions for antiparasitics versus doing herbals? <sighs> yes, definitely 100% yes. I have had many clients with like the worst parasite infections and we have used medication and there have been no regrets. I would say, especially with Giardia, that thing is a beast, it does not like to die. Though I have resolved it with herbals, it takes forever. And sometimes it's just like Giardia messes with your glucose management a lot. It messes with your nutrients. And in some people, it's just such a mess that it's like, just take the medication so we can get a leg up. And it just gives us that a fighting chance to like get a leg up on this thing. So I definitely think that there is a place for medications. And I will say what oftentimes happens and My nurse practitioner was like, Leanne, Leanne, before I prescribe anything to you, I want you to take some ivermectin and see if that does the trick. And I'm like, it's not going to work. That's not the type of parasite I have. Ivermectin is going to do nothing, but I will do it just so you can see that it didn't work. I regret doing that. 
it really affected my liver and I dealt with some liver things afterwards, not saying that that could happen to you, but it definitely happened to me. And so it's important to make sure that you are doing the right medication for the job. So it's important to know what parasite you have. And I've found that in order to know what type of parasite you have, the best way to know is to test using a diagnostic solutions, GIMAP, but oftentimes that doesn't show. And so the second best is muscle testing. I found muscle testing to be super accurate in determining what, what parasites we have, and that can be your next step. Okay, last question. How to support the adrenals on keto? I get anxious when I eat low carb and I think it's cortisol and adrenaline. Yeah, probably it is. The best way, the best way to support your adrenals is to not do a ketogenic diet. I say that only because if you're having that many issues with your adrenals, chances are a ketogenic diet is not for you. It is pretty darn hard. Now, this gets back to the four lows conversation we had on the hair tissue mineral analysis piece. If you're lacking in all your core four, like the core four minerals, and then you choose to go on a ketogenic diet and you're already a slow oxidizer, oh man, that is not going to be a good situation for you. You're going to feel so terrible. And pushing your way through that is not going to help at all. It's just going to just not work. And so if you're having a significant response to the ketogenic diet by getting anxious, yes, it could be cortisol and adrenaline. It could also be pathogens. Now that's a whole different conversation. Pathogens super don't love the ketogenic diet only because we are accessing fat stores from ourselves where a lot of pathogens are. And so oftentimes we will feel terrible. Now that's a whole different conversation in and of itself. But in the case of if you think that you are having cortisol adrenaline situation on a ketogenic diet, you can try incorporating progesterone to offset that cortisol response and adrenaline response and see if that helps. Generally, we would start off with like 20 milligrams on the skin before eating and just see if that regulates things. Other than that, I would say incorporate a little bit more carbs and test your body for infections and see whether or not it's actually infections that are causing the anxiety and less so a like a direct adrenal response. Now, it gets tricky because if you're dealing with a ton of infections and inflammation, it will affect the adrenals long term to the point where you will poorly react. Like in the case of mold illness, if you've been living in a water damaged building for a super long time, you're super depleted, all your minerals are low, then you're probably going to poorly react to the ketogenic diet. In the case of mold illness, like severe mold illness, I will usually recommend some form of ketogenic diet only because it's super helpful and healing from mold illness. But if somebody has like a four lows and they're just super depleted, ketogenic diet is going to deplete you even further only because your keystone bacteria in your gut are going to get lower, which is then going to change the diversity and your core four minerals are going to get even lower. And so sometimes it's about understanding what you're dealing with and just knowing that though the ketogenic diet sounds like a great idea, it might not be a great idea for you at this moment. You're going to need to make tweaks. Maybe that's a low carb diet for now and you can still achieve many of the benefits that you would on a ketogenic diet. You're just not going as low in carbohydrates or as high in fat as you can in this moment. So I hope today's episode was helpful. This is the second time I've recorded it. So I hope that this recording works. And if you're hearing this, it did. 
and I will see you back here for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast. Bye. Thanks for listening. Join us next Tuesday for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast. Looking for more resources? Go to healthfulpursuit.com for keto meal plans, weight loss programs, low-carb recipes, and oodles of free resources to get you going. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representation or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program. 